Hello, everyone. Uh, we are here. We're back with a nice podcast. And today, I'm really happy to be talking to Javier Dorset. I don't know if you guys know him, but uh, he's just, well, he, he's many things. He's done a lot of things in his career, even if it doesn't look like, because, well, he's not 25, but he's not like, you know, uh, for all the things that he's done. Oh, come on. That's going to be a really interesting podcast. So let's start. Like, I've been stalking you as I always do. I've been checking online, like news and your LinkedIn. There's something that I didn't know. That is that you're actually an industrial engineer. So how <laughs> you started with this kind of focus, like engineering and so on, to founding a startup that it's going to take care, well, it's taking actually care of returns. So tell us a, bit, a little bit about how you get there. Okay, um, so first of all, thank you for the invitation. So I'm really happy to be here and uh, happy to be uh, helping all of the ecosystem. So first of all, being an industrial engineer, so I would say firstly, and being honest, I will never expect to be an engineer. I was not a really good student at school. Uh, I was kicked off uh, from some schools so mothers do not panic when you know you have a student uh, a kid that is not a really good student but it can it can pivot a little bit through their um, a study career so um, i remember myself when i was a kid always with a skate skating was part of my life as um, a, not just in a sport but as a, a way of life so um, I was not paying attention too much to the teachers, being honest. But suddenly, su suddenly I turn 18, I get to the university and panic a little bit myself. I decide to go engineering, don't know why. Um, probably one of my closest friends told me she was studying engineering, so um, I give it a try. And... It sounds cool. Engineering, it's also it's yeah. always something that sounds cool. You don't, you have no idea about what the guys are so doing. Being cool. It sounds cool. But it's it cool was to be a designer, uh, uh, marketing, trendy. It was trendy, yeah. All of my friends that were more trendy were doing like the industrial designer and so on. It was about to study industrial design. But then I, I thought, okay, let's be honest. I want to do more things in my life than just um, being a designer. I, I don't feel myself a, a really good uh, drawer, so I'm not going to be a good designer. So let's try to. Uh, to find my 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 strength, um, so I noticed in the university that one of my biggest strengths was um, numbers. So numbers, I would say, were my natural strengths. So everything from the starting point of getting into the university on on board onwards uh, was pretty smooth. Wow! So you're a numbers guy. Hmm. A little nice bit. Girl, I'm, nice I'm, a, I'm a data freak. Uh, <laughs> so you must be an Excel freak. I'm, I'm an Excel freak. I'm a business intelligence freak. I'm a data geek freak. And all of the words that you can imagine. Yeah. Always watching the number. Sometimes my, my wife tells me, uh, do not control the, the quality of the education of the kids or, or, or the relationship through, through numbers. I, I, I can imagine, that. like, okay, guys, what's the ROI of your study? Yeah. You got a 10 so much. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. That. <laughs> I yeah, love it. So, always, um, my, my life is always numbers. So, at some point of your life, 
you moved across the sea and you went to LATAM to do some cool projects. What made yeah. you do this jump? So it's something that I was, started here and went, or I, I've been really lucky the whole of my career, being honest. Um, obviously, the the harder I work, the the luckier I get. Um, but I I was really happy and really lucky to to join Privalia early in my career. I was working for a before Privalia, just a couple of years. I worked for a construction company. But suddenly appears the opportunity to join Privalia early, early in early in my career. So first of all, what I can think it was a dream come true. Uh, so Privalia gave me the opportunity uh, from Barcelona to work uh, some months in Barcelona. And suddenly they told me, do you want to go for a couple of months to Brazil, to Sao Paulo? I've been traveling around the world the whole of my career. So I've been in more than 40, 45 countries. So I wow. love traveling. So when someone tells you, do you want to go to Brazil for a couple of months? So my answer was in a, in a microsecond, like, yes, let's go to Sao Paulo. Let's uh, see. By that time, I had never been there. Um, so I went to, to Privalia, Brazil, uh, but suddenly those two months became three years. Wow. Three years in Sao Paulo is a lot of things. <laughs> yeah, it was great. It was great. Um, so I had so much fun. Obviously, as most of the audience will know, Privalia was the largest uh, fashion retailer, online fashion retailer by that time. By that time, the biggest also in Brazil. I'm growing like crazy. Uh, I remember General Atlantic just uh, inject a bunch of money in 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 in, in Privalia. Uh, it was early on the moment that Privalia want to go to towards an IPO and we needed to tighten our belts. Uh, we were crazing heavily and an and efficiency became began began to be the, the most important word. Um, growth, profitable growth or growth fit that we later to, uh, was were, were talking about uh, became really important. And obviously and I had that? sorry? What was your paper there? What what did you do there? So what I launched, a big, I was reporting to the COO there, and I began to to create projects in order to improve the profitability inside operations, inside the inside logistics. I was reporting to the CEO from one in one side, and to the chief commercial officer on the other side in Brazil. So I launched all of the. Um, this is my first touch with returns. I began to resell all of the returns uh, through the creating a new department, and it was a clearance department. So that department. Uh, became 8% of the revenues of the country and gave most of the profitability as all of the returns. I'm going to be, I'm going to say some really technical stuff, but now Perfect. all of the returns, they had a, a big accrual, a, a accounting accrual, like 75% of the, of the GMB of the value of the product of the Cox were depreciated. Uh, so when we resell this product again, it was like injected, injected ABDA. Wow, so the project great. was really important. Um, so um, this was my first uh, touch point with returns, as we were the first uh, base uh, unit um, uh, country uh, taking from the returns, reconditioning, reconditioning the returns, and to resell this again on the on the same ecosystem on Privalia.br. And actually, Brazil is a huge country, like. 
huger than anyone can imagine if he hasn't been there, no. he or she hasn't been there, because distances and transport are pretty crazy. How did crazy. you face that? So like, is, uh... I understand that the return was going and then coming back, and that can last. Yeah, so the operations in Brazil are really difficult, honestly, and, and firsthand. It has improved a lot on the, uh, on, on the last years. But it's really difficult uh, country, but not just because of the size of the country, but also because of the taxes and how the accountability of the stock is done. Uh, people who has work uh, there will know what the nota fiscal is. Uh, nota fiscal is crazy. You can imagine that every single item has their nota fiscal is their tax ID, every single item. Not uh, so you need to be invoicing every single item for every single movement. If you send product from one warehouse to the other, you need to be invoicing movements. So wow. it's really difficult. Uh, it's a really difficult country. That is not for for newcomers, not for juniors. Who we used to say. Yeah, no, no, it's pretty crazy. I remember that once I tried to sell to Brazil. Uh, at that time, I was selling um, strollers. <laughs> <laughs> and apart that, like no. all the legislation is different and you the have that stuff. all the taxes for the income is like no way guys no no <laughs> passing through no. customs uh, getting through custom is impossible stuff there really really difficult country but an amazing country and a big opportunity for the ones that can uh, understand the country like Privalia did and also Mercado Libre. Mercado Libre is the, the largest operation for Mercado Libre, even though it's an Argentinian company. Uh, most uh, of the operations come from Brazil. Yeah, actually, you mentioned Mercado Libre and it's it was a bit like my next question because from Privalia, you moved to Mercado Libre. How to, was that? I moved so I moved to Privalia, Mexico first. Uh, and then huh? I was uh, I was the operations director for, for Privalia, Mexico. Uh, for four years, improving uh, um, efficiency, lead times, and pretty much focusing on 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 efficiency, cost, obviously. Uh, as uh, Privalia is a, a hard discounter, so cost was really important for us. And then the opportunity of my life came up, and I was able to join since the other beginning and create from scratch all of the Mercado and Bios uh, full program in Mexico. So. I remember the first interviews, I thought, okay, those people are creating Mercado Bios. Mercado Bios is the logistical uh, uh, arm, uh, branch of uh, Mercado Libre. It's like the Amazon logistics uh, branch. Uh, so those people want to compete against Amazon in their field. They are crazy. Uh, and I love how crazy they were that they want to compete them. Uh, and I remember this sentence from Salvador Dalí that is always in my in my mind that uh, the only difference between me and a madman is that I'm not mad. Uh, <laughs> the other thing is pretty much the same. So I I was able to join Mercado Libre uh, as a head of operations uh, for Mexico and create fulfillment by Mercado Libre from scratch. So. We started three people. When I left uh, Mercado Libre, we were about 10,000 people. Wow. Um, I just get goosebumps just for you to know. <laughs> How do you start uh, a project like this from scratch? Because you have, as you said, Amazon that is there and Mexico that is just like 
border uh, with the main country, I'd say, and it's not yesterday. They, this was some years ago. So they were starting uh, to compete in that part of the logistics. How was it? How was the first steps? How did you create the roadmap? So pretty much was trying to, to be as fast as possible. So once in Mercado Libre, even though it's a really big corporate, it's a, it's a, it's a company that is on the NASDAQ, for instance, a really large company. Uh, when they take the decision, they go 200 miles per hour. So they go really fast. So we move quickly. Uh, we develop all of the technology in-house is one of the things that I think he, at Mercado Libre um, was a big key, key uh, for the companies that at the very at the very beginning when we when you develop in house everything can be a little bit slower but it gives you a little bit a, a way more scalability afterwards as you are developing your own technology so this first hand uh, we began to we had some partners logistical partners like DHL Geodis Wilson uh, in order to create all of the fulfillment centers uh, we built the operations with them then we began uh, to build uh, our in-house operations and suddenly uh, come up to to have our uh, the network managed by Mercado Libre all in-house uh, two years uh, from the beginning. Uh, but the point here was the, the the speed of action, trying to hire the best talent across the world, not just in Latin America. Uh, so we were able to hire people from the United States, uh, some lat some Latins that were living in America, some Argentinas, Mexicans, Brazilians that were living in Europe or in in in, in the States. Uh, we hired them. We had the best talent ever, and we tried to beat the market on timing. This uh, first of all, and we were able through our own technology to scale really really fast. Wow, that's great. Yeah, actually, when you build everything in-house and you're starting the project, it gives you like this kind of like, okay, we're doing the project while constructing the technology yep. to keep yep. us like on the path, right? So it, it makes yep. complete sense, of course. And, and, and you not, you not rely, you, you don't lay on other software company. So you can take your own roadmap. Yeah. You don't need to be uh, at the speed of this of of the of the one that is going slower than you because most Definitely. of the most of the software companies for instance for wms is the warehouse management system uh, they are little bit really robust uh, software solutions that are out there but they are really robust and they are little bit um, really yeah yeah <laughs> kind of like parcel that they have um it's not easy to they always to do things and you have to that your process is to fit into their All of the integrations are really slow yeah the integrations are really slow and are not that they are really robust but they are not flexible and it's not it wouldn't be the best way in order to to start from scratch a project yeah, and at and the end, online is something that moves really, really fast and trends change, needs change, way of communicate, way yep. of selling, product yep. selling, it's, it changes, so you need to be flexible. And yeah, how many SKUs were you able to handle, like, well, crazy numbers, right? So in the operation, we had more than 25 million units. So wow. around, I would say, more than 5 million SKUs. Uh, 
So it was a really large operation. So we had the more than half million square meters uh, of operations. I cannot even yeah. imagine how much is that. Like I cannot imagine the the, the, the size of it. Like, so it was the largest e-commerce uh, fulfillment centers in Mexico, and the second largest on, on Latin America. Wow. Yeah, 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 it was really big. So we had operations in Mexico City, several. We had uh, three, four fulfillment centers in Guadalajara, Monterrey, and the ones that just um, I saw the news that yesterday uh, was launched Merida, and also is about to launch other other facilities in across the country. So wow. speed was uh, the most important thing to give the best uh, experience ever. And and really important thing, when I joined Mercado Libre, most of the people will say, okay, Mercado Libre, the quality of uh, the speed and the quality of the products, um, on, on how the products are shipped, were not that good by the time. Most of the product would rely on the sellers doing drop shipping as we're able to pick, pack, and send to the customer to the, to the customers. But when we the, we create the fulfillment product project, so we receive all of the stock. We were able to have a really high standards of inventory accuracy. So we pick, we pack as a standardized packaging for Mercado Libre, and then we ship through our network. So the speed uh, that we will deliver uh, across uh, Mexico increases a lot. I can't. Uh, tell you exactly the numbers, but probably they are uh, uh, oh, there I... are public numbers. Uh, but I would say like um, more than nine out of uh, ten orders were delivered uh, within two days, natural days. Wow, uh, that's crazy! Because here in Europe we are used to like our small countries, let's say. <laughs> but when you Mexico move to Latin, the, the size yeah. is like completely different, and and everything must be like seen from another perspective i think yeah so, so you imagine so going by car from mexico city to tijuana is like three four days driving so it's like going to moscow or to helsinki it's, i remember uh, the first time i went to brazil that i had this i wanted to travel all around and go from uh, the north to iguazu and i was like yeah, hey, yeah, i'm yeah. gonna take a bus for hours. <laughs> no <laughs> What? <laughs> 26 hours, yeah. Ah, but actually, when you go from uh, Sao Paulo to uh, Fortaleza or to Recife, it's a three, hour, three hours, three and a half hours uh, flight. Yeah, definitely. Distance oh. are other, uh, are other, are other size of magnitude, yeah. Yeah. And um, going back to Mexico, uh, what were the common, because of course, Privalia is fashion centered let's say even if they have all the kind of products mostly we're talking about fashion yep. uh, clothes yep. accessories shoes uh, beauty um and mercado libre is wider i mean there has like yep. lots lots and lots of different products that also the sizes change a lot and the needs change a lot so what were yep. like common things or things that were completely different uh, from your experience in both uh, common things obviously e-commerce industry uh, both <laughs> mercado libre operating the same industry even though so one is a the difference one is a marketplace a pure marketplace on the other hand Privalia was a flash sales online retailer so um, campaigns last around seven days on average uh, on both uh, roles, I, I held the position to focus on efficiency. 
But the difference is that Mercado, while Privalia was way more focused on cost, Mercado Libre too, but Mercado Libre was obsessed, and I need to highlight this word, obsessed with speed, with speed, speed, okay. speed, speed. So um, the percentage of orders delivered in 24 hours, in same day or in 24 hours, was one of our main KPIs at the organization. Might it be possible that this? Possible. Yeah. Sorry. Now I was thinking that maybe is that need for speed something to compete uh, with Amazon? It's a must. Otherwise, <laughs> you are out of the game. Probably is why retailers in Europe didn't beat Amazon because they were not that focused on speed. I I, I don't see any retailer in Europe, or at least in Spain. I don't want to be comparing other countries. I don't see other retailers in Spain delivering at the same speed as yeah. Amazon is doing, even re delivering Saturdays and, and Sundays. It was a really good point. So another difference it was the company size and scope, obviously. So Mercado Libre is like 20 times bigger or 30 times bigger. Uh, it's another size and scope. And it was the tech focus in Mercado Libre was a main main uh, topic so everything at Mercado Libre they, they are they, they they say it's it's said inside Mercado Libre that we are a tech company that happens to sell products okay <laughs> um, I like that. and we develop everything in-house so all of our WMS our transportation management system our labor management system all of our features our software were developing house and this is the wider difference at Mercado Libre and also Mercado Libre had uh, this part of Mercado Pago is the fintech branch uh, arm of Mercado Libre that is one of the biggest highlights of the company so uh, developing their own banking system, all of the credits uh, as a service processes for the customers and for the retailers also, because they were delivering credit towards the buyer and towards the sellers. Okay. Wow. Uh, it was one of the key uh, um, products of uh, Mercado Libre. Wow. It's like a whole bunch of things to organize and to put together to make it work at the end because it's not yeah. just like delivering or speed or also like this part of credit of course it, it also like puts this part of um, pressure let's say uh yeah. on the whole structure right yeah yeah and yeah, yeah. what about returns because uh talking to you sometimes I, I i mean i cannot even say the number of returns that you used to handle there i i just leave you say it because for me it's like way too wow <laughs> how many returns did you manage there Oof, um, i will say some hundreds of thousands uh probably we could have reached a million some months um so really big a bunch of, <laughs> of orders but it was a huge pain point uh, by that time we were focusing a lot of on the direct logistic on the direct sale then happened to notice that you have a reverse problem <laughs> and then you attack it afterwards so um, the problem first is on the direct logistic they don't reverse logistics and and happen you to notice afterwards probably when you have already a problem and um 
there was a kind like some industries or some sectors, some kind of products that were more returned than others. Yeah, obviously. So um, all of the products that has a fit problem, a size, so fashion is the major detractor, the the major detractor of the of the return uh, process. So imagine is the overall return rate in 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 Spain, let's put as an example, it can be around uh, 10%. The average return rate in fashion is like 25%. Yeah. And nothing to compare with Germany that can peak up to 50% in fashion. Yeah. You probably know all of these numbers, uh, right? Yeah, I guess uh, we got some ideas about that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, Germany but Germany is something is a... I, that it blows my mind. It really blows my mind because I know that it's something cultural that comes from uh, back, from comes from the catalog uh, buying because it was like a really strong yep. uh, country buying catalog and they had this kind of, okay, you go and you buy some, you try and then you just give it back but they're also on the other hand they're really sustainable and they really think about the environment so it blows my mind it's like why yeah <laughs> why? it's the country <clears throat> so what i've seen in, in the whole of my career is that the most ma the, the maturity on the country so when the penetration of the e-commerce the share of e-commerce orders out of the total retail increase and the con the, the maturity of the country it increases the returns so yeah. as, an as an example, the return rate in every single country as the penetration of the e-commerce growth, the return rate growth, because it's obviously because people yeah. at the very beginning, they just buy the things that they know on the companies that they know. You are not in taking right. any risk, trying, taking risk at the very beginning. And this, uh, this is obviously when on the early start of the e-commerce uh, um, uh, life now that people are taking more risk obviously but you don't have to be just the return rate as a problem you have to see the whole funnel because yeah. the conversion rates years ago like 10 15 years ago were way lower than now uh, now that people go and take risks they buy obviously they return more but they are buying more, way more. And this is the point, how we can balance the return rate with the profitability of the whole funnel, increasing the conversion rates in the early beginning on the on the sales uh, or the sales cycle. Yeah, actually there are like some fashion uh, brands like Zara, like ATM and many others mm -hmm. that start in charging, even if it's a small amount uh, for returns. Do you think that that can lower a bit the conversion or it's just something that consumers will just accept and go forward. Uh, so this is a really difficult topic, charging Definitely. whether or not about for returns. So charging for return obviously can potentially create a negative customer experience, especially if the customer perceives this as an incon inconvenient cost. Okay. Um, so what I think first, and for a first-time buyer, it can be discouraged some customers to make a purchase uh, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a company, particularly if they are uncertain about this product. 
so they are not taking any risk. If you don't have a real clear policy, you are changing or are you are changing a lot, probably you are discouraging, you are, you are losing customer. You are discouraging the, the, uh, this customer to be your customer. I think, well, I mean, I have like two different theories, let's say. Um, yeah. I do think that it can help reduce them a bit, a bit, like um, returns, for example, that making people pay, mm -hmm. make people think, of course, maybe you're not going to convert, but at the end, a conversion that comes back is not a real conversion. So mm, so on this part, I can, I can partly agree, but I think that what's really important is to create all the experience before. Like if mm -hmm. you give the tools mm -hmm. to the customers, um, yep. like the before and the after, if you create a lot, the, the experience and you help the customer and customer will get the product they need by pictures, by tools that can help you, by yep. explaining the product. And then after you face the, re the returns as an exchange, for example, it might help or it like you guys, we're going to go a, a bit on, on what you guys are doing. But I think that seeing the returns as a problem is, is not worth it. And that's what brings you to the pay me for that. You know, you, yeah. you can recuperate that product. It's hard. It's difficult. But Yeah. Yeah. So what I think is that we have two main pillars. So in one side are the strategies that we can do to in order to reduce so all of the software and so on. I will explain it further. On the other side, you have all of the what is important in order to increase the conversion rate. So what to make, uh, what's the driver in order the buyer to buy on your e-commerce. Okay. So first and foremost, why we need to treat every single customer the same way. Definitely. Buyers are different. There are some buyers that buy two orders per year and returns one. It's a 50% return rate. And there are buyers that buy hundreds of units, like let's say 100 units per year, and they return 10. 10% 10 of returns. So will you discourage the person that buys 100 units and charge to this person because they have a return rate of um, of a 10%, whether it can be still profitable uh, for you. And on the other hand, you have this person that returns just one item, probably the first return item is for free, and you are charging the second customer, which has an, a, a better lifetime value. So for certain items, I think you need to, we need to, to, to invest more in customer loyalty, like implement uh, more a customer-centric approach uh, that prioritizes the loyalty of the customer and putting on the uh, the most as, as the most important the satisfaction and the repetition of that buyer on the future on your company. Uh, so offering how, for how returns, think... yeah, yeah, no. So I will say, so offering for returns, it can it can enhance the customer to trust your your company and then trying to. Uh, help that customer to have the behavior that you want. So, and as I was explaining before, so on the other side, you have all of these strategies. So size softwares like NiceFeed. So how you can, through technology, help your customer take the best decision. But we also, so I mean, we, uh, so retailers, the ones that they are producing manufacturers, they also need to 
standardize the products. They also need to incorporate uh, more information about the description of the product, the model, the size of the model, um, optimizing the description of the product and offering technology like virtual try-ons and softwares in order to understand how that product will fit on you. Definitely, but because always, there's a part of elasticities and so on that you might not yeah. see in the model. And come on, yeah. we don't have the bodies of a model. So I'm yeah. not 180 tall. I'm 160. Yeah. So even if I see a picture of somebody that is like that much bigger than me, I'm not going to be able to have an idea how it's going to fit me. Or how but if you know, like but if you know that the model is 170 and is wearing a small or a medium, probably will help you to understand that you will have a lower uh, or smaller um, size. But also through technology, and I think what NiceFit is doing, for instance, is paramount uh, in order to to reduce the the return rates. But always we need to tackle zero returns as well. But you tackle this in another way. The ones that do are doing bracketing, you need to tackle other way around. Yeah. So you need to de-incentivize uh, when a buyer, for instance, buys the small, the medium, and the large. If you do this kind of buying, you need to have a, like an information towards the customers that's saying, okay, this way of shopping is not environmentally good, et cetera, et cetera. Have you so been when you are not covering. <laughs> Uh, so you, you did incentivize saying, okay, if you buy the small, the medium, the large, uh, you're not going to have free shipping, for instance, free returns, and uh, neither free shipping. Uh, take a platform, invest in technology, and help the buyer that in order to buy the small, for instance, the one that thinks that will fit and make exchanges easy for them. Because yeah. people are, are afraid that it's difficult to return. So, so as it's really difficult to return and it's, and it's slow to make the changes, people are rather buy, they don't rather buy several uh, sizes and then return the ones that they want. But we need to invest in technology on the one side, on the other side, to have an efficient and a process and a technology in order to automatically exchange the products for them. Definitely. And um, I think returns has like two different challenges. One, exactly the one that you were uh, talking about, that is making easy to people that really deserves the right to return, let's say, that really has a problem and really need to return it because maybe he yep. just wants another product and you're going to keep that customer. But also the part of the retailer that they're going to have this stock around and they have to maybe reconditioning uh, to do some reconditioning. So what do you think that it's harder, let's say, the logistics part of the return or the reconditioning part? Uh, good question. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm tricky. You know me. <laughs> I think there is no... Both parts are important, but both target different topics. So for instance, say logistics enable to improve the customer service and the cost control. Okay. Under reconditioning, uh, improve the likability of product is sold again, maximizing the gross margin. And also it can improve e e your, your profitability as a company. So, in my point of view, logistic is the touch point with the customer. Uh, and it's important to give them a really good, uh, convenient and good logistical service. 
And on the other hand, retailers must invest in reconditioning to improve uh, the gross margins. So through reconditioning, you improve the likability, this product is going to be sold again. And also because we need to, to take a leap, take impact for the world, um, not uh, sending a bunch of tons of product to uh, landfills. So we need to invest on doing our best to one, restock the stock. Second, if the product has some minor um, defects, recondition it. Or three, if it's a major uh, damage, we need to recycle it. So at that way, what we are doing. So we are investing heavily on assuring uh, and compromise to return has a new life. So one, it can be resolved again, it can be reconditioned, or it's gonna be recycled. No waste for the world. I'm being honest, something that matters to me and was one of the major uh, things that we developed at, at Mercado Libre on the reverse logistics, uh, with the reverse logistics tip. Yeah, because I remember sometimes we talk about uh, the, your past life in, in Mercado Libre and you always told me that the part of sustainability, like in a real way that you were implementing some actions. I remember something about the bags that you changed them. And, and can you tell yep. us a bit like, like a fun fact or like your story, how, how did you leave this part before all the old trend for being sustainable? Because that was way before all this trend and now everybody's jumping to, let's say. So first, a fun fact, I don't know if, if it's fun, but I remember having a lot of waste at, 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 the, at the operation and we used to send them through uh, to, to waste through recycles. But suddenly appears the opportunity, so I I invest a lot of time and effort and influence in order to to deliver all of the products that were not able to res to be resolved again to an NGO. It was the Banco de Alimentos. Uh, don't know the words in English. Um, how is it called? But is 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 one of the largest and one of the most respect respected uh, NGOs in Mexico. So we partner with them in order to 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 help that uh, pro those products, the products that were not able to be reconditioned or restocked, uh, to have a new life. So it was really important that 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 process. That's but okay. uh, recondition was a huge part uh, on my on my enlightenment, I will say, uh, process uh, the one that made me take the leap. When I saw those people's reconditioning products, so those electronical uh, engineers with their um, bones, all were all wearing white with their gloves, reconditioned electronic products in our warehouse was amazing. Uh, and I thought, I thought, no, I was sure it's gonna be a big, big impact on the world and a big market on there. Wow. What do you think that is more recondition that needs more reconditioning, electronics or fashion? So electronics for sure, but the percentage of units that can need a recondition is different. The, more, most of the reconditioning in electronics is is a software, um, it's a software issue. It can be easily uh, uh, repaired with specialists. Okay. But on the other hand, uh, fashion, 
reconditioning can be not just uh, when, a pro when a product has a problem. So in, in fashion, 100% of the units or almost 100% of the units need to be reconditioned. So when you buy a shirt or a t-shirt, uh, you try on yeah. doesn't fit to you, or you doesn't like, you return it. You try, some of the people try to fold it correctly. They don't do, they don't do not do uh, perfectly. So you need this product to be iron, to be uh, folded and bag it. But there are many people that put the shirts like a grab, they throw it in the plastic bag and they return it again. So if they keep the plastic bag, because <laughs> sometimes they, the they just forget about everything and they throw yeah. it. Oh, it doesn't yeah. fit me. I just like they even remove the label sometimes. Yeah. So the importance here is mandatory. It's mandatory in order to be this product in order to be result again needs to be reconditioned. So almost hundred percent of the units in fashion needs to be reconditioned, whether in electronic is not. But the complexity to recondition or refurbish uh, electronics is way higher. You need a uh, specialist. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. I, I mean, the plastic thingy and the white, it's like kind of um, a lab. It's like a laboratory in which they can recondition the product yep. while fashion, even if you have to be like taking a good care of the product, it's something yeah. more like that. It's an operational stuff, not yeah. a technical yeah. stuff, let's say. Yeah, yeah. So what, what I mean, there's going to be like hundreds, but um, what are the things that you feel that I kind of the same uh, from the different because you jump from corporates from really really big companies and now you founded a you co-founded a startup so <laughs> how do you deal with the differences and the timings probably are going to be the same because <laughs> Mercado Libre was a really fast company like in developing and and changing uh yeah. a startup is kind of the same but the back is different so <laughs> so being honest I'm really lucky. I was really lucky on the companies I've been working with or for. So Mercado Libre, Privalia is an amazing company. Uh, a tech company, really fast company with one of the best cultures ever, uh, being honest. People matters there a lot. Uh, yeah. And there was a bunch of crazy people and a friend of people that are still up to today, they are still friends. Um, on the other hand, Mercado Libre is a way larger company, uh, but it's a tech company, a true tech company that speeds mothers and they are, as I said before, really crazy uh, and they want to, to make a disruption worldwide, not just the, in Latin America. Uh, so it was really important uh, and I was really lucky uh, to be honest uh, that I've been working in a really, really fast environment, uh, to be honest. And that is difficult to measure because in, a, in your, your own startup, so you have less resources, being honest, you can somehow create something faster. But it's not easy, being honest, to compete with uh, with the with the culture and with the ecosystem that those are having. But as an as an startup, we can create new features that they are not yet doing, uh, and we can help um, develop some features, some technology to help the mid market going up to the market as well. 
I think that the creativity that gives you uh, a startup, it's really hard to find in some kind of corporate because you yeah. have to keep inventing. You have to keep understanding. And I think that yeah. it gives you the chance to get to know better the, your partners because I think that they're not need to be called customers because you're working with them, solving their issues, right? Yeah, so a startup can move faster. Uh, can move faster and can move, uh, can pivot faster too. I mean, so you can take a decision, uh, going with this decision or keep this decision uh, sooner than a, than, a, than a corporate, being honest. But there are some companies like the ones that I've been working for that they are Pretty happily fast, fast uh, um, developing uh, technology. This is why they are there, obviously. Uh, so what's the plan for that can... one? Wow, ah, really good question. <laughs> uh, that was the one. <laughs> this is the most difficult, difficult one. So first of all, at that one, so there is a dream, dream that is getting uh, day by day true. We want to enlarge, uh, uh, to help retailers to 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 enlarge all of the uh, to to enlarge all of the life cycle of the products. We want to demystify returns to help retailers have all of the technology and information in order to automate the process of return obviously helping them saving the sale how we save the sale we save the sales through exchanges through automation of uh, refunding the money to the wallet and so on so the idea here is to create an ecosystem where a company where a where a, a, a retailer can have technology in order to improve uh, the return process so increase the likability uh, a customer will buy there again and not just on the product side uh, on the ux side i mean and on the process and the technology that has on the front end but also through logistics we are taking charge of the return process giving drop-off points, home pickups, uh, delivering with our experience with our experience in logistics, uh, being a software but hands-on software, taking all of the returns and recondition these products to put them like new, uh, recondition them and looking like them that like new in order to resell this product uh, again uh, shortly. So cool. it's not just the return process, it's not just the technology, it's not just saving the cell, it's also uh, helping the world have, have be is uh, helping the world reduce the waste that we are having uh, through the so this project uh, of reconditioning. Actually, I think that it it even goes beyond that um, because at the end, uh, returns is is just a part of a purchasing. Um, let's say a uh, process in and it's something that it, it eventually it's going to happen and it has to be treated and now it's like a demon that demon like ooh ooh and and your solution trying to just consider them another part of the process like the email marketing that before that didn't exist i mean it's way more complicated come on i know but you know it's like kind of normalizing it and making the experience easy for both worlds for the user yep. who's going to receive the product and needs to re uh, return yep. it and the retailer that needs to be able to quickly resell or to keep that customer and give him this extra treatment and loyalty and see that they're caring and on top of that even taking care about like uh trying to reduce uh emissions and and waste and and everything so i mean it's just like cherry on the top 
So there are there are several successful e-commerce companies, uh, not just the one that we all think, but also um, fashion uh, companies that years from now, like there are ages that they understand the importance of having returns and being able to live with them. Uh, we need to demystify it. Obviously, we need to attack the sales returners, the Pareto, like uh, the ones that they are having a lot of returns. We need to attack them. But we need, we need to not to treat every single customer the same way. The the okay. coffee the coffee for everyone doesn't work. Uh, so we need to to have, to improve our loyalty database uh, with towards our customers in order to improve their likability. Uh, we are gonna be addressing the problem correctly uh, with uh, the different customers uh, kinds uh, of customers that we have. And on the other hand. Uh, I remember like five years, five, six, six, seven years ago that I went to the United States, one of the largest fashion online retailers in the States. Uh, they had by that time 35% of returns. We wow. at Privalia, we had 7% uh, of returns, 6, 7% of returns. So 35, that blew my mind. But they were super easy. They were super relaxed. They control everything. They had really good experience. They were. They had the, all of the process of ironing all of the product. They folded. They bag it. They do it softly because they already had to um, adapt uh, the process as a common process. It was and a part problem. of the chain. It was a, another yeah. step of the chain. The sizing. The um, shootings, the uploading yep. to the website, the shipping, yep. the returns. It was just one more step of the whole cycle. of. It was embedded on the supply chain uh, process. It was embedded. So we need to demystify it and embed it. And obviously to attack the technology to in order to reduce um, the uh, returns, giving all of the information uh, to the customer, virtual trojan, software recommendations, uh, more information on product descriptions, and so on. Also attacking those customers with, with bad behavior through loyalty yeah. programs, okay? And on the other side, when a problem happens, try to be there when a problem happens. Try to solve the problems smoothly, seamlessly, and the most on the most efficient way uh, in order to have a happy customer. Because you know the, the the what kills company is not it's to have happy customers, but experience Definitely. kills company. Definitely. So, so well, I not... was here like yeah. speaking for ages, but it's like almost time <laughs> to finish. I, I'm like, we should be doing this weekly. Come on. <laughs> so uh, I'm gonna go to you. the last five questions, the tricky ones that nobody knows, <laughs> the ones that you heard us. You know more or less. They're super easy. Don't worry. Um, there are just like some questions that we like to ask to everyone that comes uh, to the podcast. Um, and it's also a way to know you a bit better, guys. So first one is a bit tricky, maybe. Which is your favorite moment in the history of fashion? My if you have one. You, you, in, I mean, the history of fashion, fashion has started like ages ago. Yeah, There's yeah, a yeah. lot of moments, even maybe an iconic thing that, wow, when... I don't know, for example, one of my favorites is when uh, disco pants come back, like these huge, uh, I like flares, like huge flares. I love yeah. them and I'm happy they're yeah. back. <laughs> yeah. You might have uh, done have one. The first thing that 
came to my mind is was it, it is the first day that I jumped into Privalia office. I saw all of these models getting shot, all of the production department with Photoshop, um, improving and taking all of the photos going live. And the first day that I upload a campaign and I saw, I, I saw a sales machine. For me, obviously this is technology, it's not about the fashion, but it's a fashion company. And it's a, a moment that I will never forget again. The moment that I saw a panel, a TV with sales, crack, crack, crack. And I saw, my God, this is technology is changing the way we are buying. It's changing yeah. the way we are um, selling. And later on, I noticed that I wanted to be there in order to change the way we do logistics because logistics, e-commerce has changed a lot the way logistics is done. So it will be for me this moment. That's super cool. I'm not, I'm not a fashion expert. I know. That's, that's why I know it was going to be a tricky one. <laughs> but I, I mean, I love the answer. I definitely love because I can yeah. I can understand that feeling, right? That things are going we'll on. We'll never forget in my happening. mind. We'll never forget. We'll never forget. This TV doing click, 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 dollars, 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 dollars. Oh, that blew my mind. And which is your favorite garment? Which is the product you always have in your, in your Oof, uh, my cupboard. What? I bought 15 years ago, 12 years ago, I bought a belt in Argentina. I'm using it, it's like a gaucho, gaucho uh, like uh, of the leather, really good leather belt. I love it. You see it today and it looks like new it's wow it's it blows my mind also uh, 12 years from now using almost every day uh, and it's, it looks like new good 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 leather really good one wow. and i bought I this in, in i bought this in argentina while i was living in in sao paulo wow nice and um, which book would you recommend? We are really freaks with books. We really like reading wow. and investigating. So I'm a heavy reader. I love reading. Uh, it's really difficult to recommend one single book. If you let me recommend two books, I would love to recommend two books. On the one side, in different uh, parts of my life. One, Delivering Happiness. Uh, Tony Ishii, the founder of Sapos. Uh, it's a shame that uh, that he died uh, a couple of years ago. Uh, yeah. But Tapos was the creator of the costume obsession, online costume obsession. So Tapos, Delivering Happiness by Tony Shie. And on the other part of my life, now being more on the part of investor and more on the entrepreneurship part of my life, uh, I cannot hesitate to recommend The Almanac of Naval Ramakit. Okay, I didn't read that. The Almanac, the Almanac of Naval. The Almanac of mandatory, Naval. Mandatory book for everybody who wants to be, is on the BC, uh, on the venture capital, or is on the entrepreneurship um, ecosystem. Okay, thank you. Sounds great. And related to things that mean something to you, do you have a favorite quote? I have a lot. People... <laughs> 
pull, there are some people in my team that pull my leg uh, because I'm always saying uh, a lot of uh, quotes. Um, I will say the one of Salvador Dali that I already mentioned. I'm going to repeat it uh, because I love it. The only different, different, difference between a Batman and me is that I'm not mad. I love, I love it. it. I love it's it. Super cool. It's definitely and it's definitely like not just a quote, but also a way of understanding life. Let's say and yeah. acting. Yeah, everybody, every really successful people that I met, they have flames of craziness. Do not be normal. Be different. Uh, yeah, yes, being normal is just like overrated. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And just yeah. like to finish, I promise it's the last one. Who would you like to hear in this podcast? Who would you like us to trick him wow. to be here and give us like his hour of happiness and knowledge? Okay, uh, difficult question too. I don't it can be to anyone. Well, anyone. I, mean, I don't yeah. think that I'm going to get Barack Obama or something like this. But... <laughs> Uh, so I would recommend uh, one of my mentors uh, uh, to be here. Uh, is the actual CEO of uh, Van Privé, uh, is Victor Del Pozo. I have a really good relationship with him. It's a person that I admire a lot. So you know what? I, I'm gonna do like an all-in. Let's do a three three people podcast. Okay, will be awesome. We all have a lot of to, lot to, lots to uh, learn from him. That's cool. So let's organize that. I like it. <laughs> you see, that's awesome. the problem of coming here and I have crazy ideas just on the go. <laughs> awesome. Thank you very much, Javier, of being here with us. Thank you very much for sharing so much. Uh, I really loved it. I really learned a lot. And I think that we're going to have these three threesome podcasting <laughs> moment. Well, be awesome. Thank you very much for the invitation. I had so much fun too. Always uh, speaking with you, Cynthia, is, is, is having fun. So um, hopefully the next one will be out there uh, on some restaurant somewhere. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> Thanks. Enjoy. Enjoy.